Welcome to another episode of Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Kirsten Holder, and today we're talking with a woman who is integral in helping stop cycles of abuse among family members. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month, and while this might not be a subject that everyone loves to talk about or hear about, it is so important that each member of our community understands and is an active participant in repair. So let's start with some introductions. Kate Bacon is joining us again today. She is the Executive Director of Family Builders, a nonprofit that works on ending domestic violence and child abuse cycles. Family Builders offers parenting programs, community education, batterers programs, and co-parenting and divorce programs as well. Thanks for being back with us again today, Kate. Oh, thanks for having me. So we will dive right in. Um, according to Oklahoma laws, a party who abuses a child is convicted of a felony, and the punishments for such a crime are serious as they absolutely should be. The penalties for child abuse can include incarceration for life, um, confinement in a county jail for a maximum of a year, a financial penalty of $500 to $5,000. I'd love to break down what constitutes a child abuse crime that would fit some of these consequences and what signs or evidence need to be laid out before an abuser could be convicted. Yeah, so this is a big question. Um, and I think a lot of times when people think of child abuse, they immediately go to what would be considered the shock and heinous issues. And that would be the felony um, charges that you listed before. And that would just, you know, that is what it is. It's shocking and heinous. It's where severe injuries um, are brought onto the children and severe um, neglect as in, um, you know, withholding food or environmental safety as a part of um, a form of discipline or control. And so that's that's really essentially what you'd be seeing under this felony conviction. Um, and, you know, that's primarily for uh, felony by injury. So we're talking about physical issues there. Um, you know, the the majority of child abuse crimes are um, are not a felony issue, thankfully. A lot of them at most are a misdemeanor and those are typically on the forms of child, child neglect. And so um, that would be a, you know, drug use in, within the home or domestic violence in the home, which would be considered, you know, a failure to thrive. And so that's really when we, when my organization, Family Builders kind of comes into play and uh, DHS plays a part in that as well. Another, um, uh, felony would be sexual abuse as well. And so we know that, um, especially under the age of 14 is when the felony starts and that's any form of sexual abuse, whether that's, um, you know, um, promoting pornography or actual acts. Yeah. And all, obviously all of those things are so severe, but it's helpful to kind of break down and know the ratio of misdemeanor to felony crimes out there. And there are so many other ways that unfortunately kids can be taken advantage of. Can you talk a little bit about emotional abuse um, or distress and how that is laid out in the court of law, how it needs to be proven in order to be taken seriously? So that's, that's a really tough um, thing to prove, right? And typically, you know, when a child is removed from the home because of 
the substantiated physical parts of abuse, whether that is, you know, the house is not um, suitable for the ch child or there's physical signs on the body of abuse. Um, the child is typically given kind of an indicator test of whether emotional um, abuse or just emotional distress has been sought after um, in the sense of um, um, intentional emotional abuse. Now, whatever the scenario is for the child to be in that, that um, situation, there's always going to be the emotional and um, distress there. But whether it was intentional or not is typically um, kind of a determining factor upon the caseworker and DHS usually, you know, will use their resources to outsource that, that information with an agency that specializes in, in understanding whether that was intentional emotional abuse or not. So the intent behind it is kind of the key factor in, okay, yeah. Um, so in the past, from 2015 to 2018, the number of substantiated child abuse cases stayed mostly the same. And of course, this data varies a little bit from department to department, depending on how things are measured or looked at. But between that time period, the cases staying the same, why do you think we haven't seen much of a dent in these numbers during that time frame? Yeah, that, I mean, that is the big question, I think. And I think when you look at those numbers, you think that we're not doing anything to help children. And when you really look at the big picture of our state, I really think it is a great snapshot of how much resources we lack and you know our societal um, behaviors. You know, we continue to not provide children, you know, the proper education. We continue to remain low on um, the treatment of women, especially incarceration of women. You know, these major aspects of our society, of course, are going to play a role into every child that's brought into the world. And so I think until we can kind of raise up the other issues that we really struggle with and how we um, are continually in the bottom of, of so many of those things, we're never really gonna see much of a difference on that. And I would say that goes across the board, whether that's mental health, substance abuse, um, of any of those things that we really lack in our society to, to improve. Nothing is fragmented, nothing is disconnected. And unfortunately, uh, the kids get the um, raw end of the stick when it comes to that, um, definitely. Can you talk a little bit about, and you mentioned earlier, the difference between child abuse and child neglect in the eyes of law and social workers. Um, you mentioned you know, physical marks on the body or neglect as in withholding food, but are there any other key indicators that distinguish between those two factors? Yeah, so child abuse, um, and typically within our agency with um, the cases that we have come through our door, there's always going to be hope of re reconciliation. So when we talk about child abuse, we really mainly talk about the physical aspects. And, uh, you know, that's typically a poor form of discipline. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a very generational um, aspect of parenting. You talk to these parents and, you know, you ask them what form of discipline was used in your childhood. And there's whoopings, there's lashings, there's... Um, 
you know, spankings with the belt or any of those really harsh, harsh um, physical uh, disciplines. And that's because that's a generational thing taught. And so um, when we see those cases, typically it's discipline that has been in that form that have left marks where a teacher or a physician has noticed and called, called DHS and the police. So when we talk about physical abuse, it's really what you see on the outside. Um, when you talk about child neglect, that is what we were going to a little bit more in the emotional aspect. Um, you know, when we neglect a child, you know, we don't, we're not providing what they need, whether that's food, um, shelter, hygiene, sanitation, and appropriate education. And so when we neglect children, a lot of times, um, you know, it can be hard to tell if the child's showing up to school um, with clean clothes on and you know they're going home on the bus, it's hard to know that at night there's domestic violence in that home or there's drug use at that home. And those are really strong um, neglect forms in Oklahoma. Domestic violence and drug use are the most prevalent neglects that we see. Um, we do have, you know, cases where the home environment just isn't sanitary enough and the children are removed, but um, that is probably the, the easiest fix of neglect because we can physically see it and we can, we can make adjustments to make that more appropriate. But when we talk about the things that are behind closed doors, the neglect issue is the hardest to target. Sure. And of course, kids growing up in those environments aren't able to verbally communicate any of those things because it's normal to them. Mm -hmm. um, it's just the environment they've grown up in. How would they raise a flag because they don't know any different? Right. Right. Hmm. So you kind of mentioned this and we talked about the stats between 2015 and 2018, things maybe were kind of at a plateau or level. Um, based on various factors. Um, and as I'm sure we can all suspect, caregivers experiencing high levels of parenting stress and economic stress could be more prone to abuse. Um, so of course, during the pandemic of the past two years, there's been nearly a 50% decrease in calls to report child abuse um, during this time frame. How have you seen the pandemic affect the rate of child abuse and child neglect cases? Yeah, this is a really interesting question because it would suggest that child abuse is on the on the decrease, even though what you had mentioned, the statistics of substantiated cases really hasn't fluctuated. And that's because schools have been out. Um, police are our number one reporters for child abuse. Um, and that's solely because they show up to houses with incidences and then, you know, if they see a child present that is um, a reason to um, remove them. But really schools, we depend on schools to report ch uh, child abuse. Um, and so when we didn't have any schools open, uh, child abuse didn't go away. It was just obviously not being reported. Um, on my agency's end, we actually saw a huge increase in clientele. And while the schools um, were reopening, um, but also why they were closed because the substance abuse and mental health issues of these homes skyrocketed. So there was more police being called for arguments or domestic violence, or, um, you know, they were 
essentially neglecting their children because of substance abuse. And so while the calls weren't necessarily being reported under child abuse, they were being reported under those incidences. So um, we have seen a huge increase uh, over the past two years. It has gone up about 29% year over year. So um, 2021 to 2022, as of January 1st, has been a 29% increase. It has finally gotten a little bit leveled off, uh, but we are nowhere I don't think we'll ever go back to where we used to be. Mm. I think the issues that have um, implanted themselves in society, unfortunately, are addictive habits. And so what we know, especially about substance abuse and the resources out there for mental health are so poor, um, it just takes years to recover from those, those downfalls. And then it also takes years to recover from you know financial losses. If you were... Uh, evicted from your home during this time or lost your your job it just it just takes so much longer and harder to rebuild mm -hmm. and so it it really will be a ripple effect of years to come I think for these children to to come out of this uh, pandemic oh, that is so heartbreaking to hear but so true, like you're saying that that figure is a little misleading because you think maybe things are getting better when in fact they're way worse and, and unreported, um, which is a just a double-edged sword. So you kind of mentioned this, but teachers and police officers, um, people outside the home are really those good safeguards in our community for reporting child abuse. Um, neighbors, babysitters, family members, of course, many of those people we were separated from during the shutdown. Um, and as we're interacting with friends and community members, how can we best recognize signs of abuse in kids that we come into contact with every day? So, you know, there's the obvious uh, physical signs. If you see a bruise, um, you can be, inquisitive of it, say, oh my goodness, what happened there? And just recognize that, um, you know, children sometimes communicate on a different level than an adult mind. And so kind of re remind yourself that if it's an elaborate story, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, um, it's made up. And so you can just do open-ended, inquisitive um, things if it's if you see re repeating patterns of physical um, bruising or anything. Now, if it's on the face, for example, you, you always, I would say, take the most precaution. Um, if you have a conversation with a child and, and it just doesn't feel right, you need to make the, the call. You need to go with your gut. It is never wrong to call the police for a wellness check. It is never wrong to um, call the child abuse hotline at DHS. It's anonymous. You can make that tip and they just go out and investigate. Um, as you know, a citizen of Oklahoma, everybody is a mandate reporter. So if you ever see something or suspect something, I suggest that you call the child abuse hotline and make, um, make that step happen. And we provide a recognizing reporting workshop um, at Family Builders. It is a free workshop that we can go out to your employment for a lunch and learn or 
daycares for employment, uh, daycare workers or schools for counselors and teachers. And we really break it down into how the signs of abuse looks for a child to report because it's much different than when an adult reports it. And the next steps, you know, I think calling the authorities is real scary. I think we are just in the mindset a lot of times of minding our own business. And of course, it's our own natural defense to think that is not what it looks like. Mm-hmm. I know Jimmy's dad. Jimmy's dad's a good guy. I go to church with him. He's a t-ball coach. And essentially, and, and you don't want to be the reason that the family's broken up. And we always go to the, the, the worst case scenario. And then in the end, you have to understand that, um, you know, trusting yourself and trusting your eyes, it won't ever steer you wrong because if it's nothing, it's nothing. But if it's something, then you have the chance for that family to really address what's going on and make the changes that need to happen to break that cycle. Those are such good points. And you're right. Nobody wants to be in that position, but when you are, it is your responsibility to stand up for a child who can't stand up for themselves. And I so appreciate you laying that out and and how those options look and knowing they can be anonymous um, just as a second pair of eyes to make sure everything's okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You were talking about open-ended questions um, when you're talking to kids to find out more if you suspect abuse, Um, but I'd love to dive into that just a little bit more. what are some things you should be asking kids, um, especially young kids who can't necessarily verbalize what's happening to them or, or understand even? Um, mm-hmm. If you suspect abuse with a child that you come into contact with often, what are some things you should ask them? Well, you can always simply ask them, oh my goodness, what happened? You know, tell me what happened. And, you know, they might say, I got hit with the swing. Oh goodness. Were you playing on the swing or was a friend playing on the swing? And trying to map out that scenario for them without um, really directing them towards a yes or no question, right? So you want them to be um, continuing the story plot as it goes, because that gives you the opportunity to see where um, where the truth lies. And I, I hate to say truth because I don't believe children lie, but, uh, you know, sometimes when they are explaining scenarios, it's not as black and white as it would be when, you know, somebody on the sidelines saw it. Mm-hmm. And so creating that platform for them to tell their story and recognizing, you know, because children do tell the truth, they just tell it in a, a more story-like form and so giving them that, that option to kind of flow their story out is really the best, best way to do it. And then continue the follow-up. If you're just, you know, every week, you know, even if the bruises aren't there on the face, for example, and you really do think they got hit by the swing, you know, the next week, just say, you don't have that bruise on your face anymore. Have you, have you not been on the swing lately? You know, or just following up and talking to them about that because, the follow-up can sometimes even lead to more insight. Uh, that's a good point too, when they're not in shock anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, when it hasn't, when it hasn't been fresh, when they've had a minute to think about it a little bit more and more of the story might come out. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about how Family Builders works to reconcile families where child abuse has been prevalent in the past. 
So our agency works um, hand in hand with DHS. We have had our contract since 1976 and we are the the referral source for parenting for mainly Oklahoma County, we can service anybody in, in Oklahoma. But um, what we do for families in Oklahoma is really try to break the learned cycles that you have as an adult becoming a parent. And this is, it's just hard to relearn how to do something that you're so certain of. Mm-hmm. I know uh, as a, myself as a parent, you become a parent, you say, I'm just not going to do this, this thing that I hated that my parents did. But the reality of it is the other 9,000 things that you are repeating are so ingrained into you and you just don't know any better. Hmm. And so we work on really trying to not just change the way people parent, but inform them with powerful knowledge and resources. So our program consists of two two classes. They're both 12 sessions each, so 24 sessions um, total. The first program is Nurturing Parenting Skills. And this is is something everybody should take because you just, you don't know what you don't know. And not everybody takes child development in college. And, you know, not everybody understands, you know, how a child should react or behave. Mm -hmm and how you should respond to that. So this this really does, it goes from birth to 18 and it talks about the ages and stages of a child, what you should be looking for in their development, how to appropriately discipline as those stages and developments, you know, um, change and, you know, how to nurture them, how to look at them and be a nurturing parent and provide them that emotional support that is so needed through the growth of your child. And so this is where we really tackle, you know, that connection that sometimes people don't realize that they're lacking because they were never given it. And we also really tackle the old mindset of discipline. And, you know, we, we are absolutely no spanking proponents. We, um, you know, corporal punishment proponents. Um, We want to squash all of those forms of discipline because they shut the emotional connection off immediately. And then it essentially stunts the, the growth of that child right there to be able to problem solve through emotions. And so we want to make sure that we are capable of nurturing those children through, through those challenging times with the appropriate forms of discipline. And that's just, that's hard. And so every parent needs to know how to do this. Um, and then we also go through our compassion workshop, which is 12 weeks. And this is, um, this is an amazing uh, program because it, it really tackles um, how to be a compassionate and empathetic person, not just towards your child or your spouse, but really just as a human being. Whoever you are, we all, we all hold our own traumas, you know, and we really look at that of how we can be empathetic towards another person. And, you know, I call it kind of like the, the compassion gauge we have probably more compassion for somebody that's going through a worse thing than we've experienced, right? But when we decipher, oh, I've been through rougher things, they should get over it. Mm-hmm. I had it rougher as a child. They don't know how good they have it. That's mm-hmm. not being a compassionate person and how we can absorb our own traumas and, and regulate our emotions on that 
and become more empathetic towards people. And so we really break down personal traumas and how to heal through that and become a better, more empathetic person on the end. And so with the combination of those two things, it's hard to come out of the program not being a better parent. I mean, once you know better, you do better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and though, like you said, every parent needs some of those life skills too. You mentioned we all have our own traumas and no matter where they lie on the scale range, comparative suffering doesn't heal anyone. And we all need to be filled. We all need to be um, the best we can be so that we can raise kids to be the best they can be. And it, that's why <laughs> these cycles are so important. So I appreciate you saying all of that. I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, what successful reconciliation looks like and also healing for kids who have experienced abuse. Yeah, so this is a hard question. I think um, everybody wants to see reconciliation and thinks that's the ultimate success. And sometimes it's not, you know, sometimes we need to step back from that and realize what is the healthiest relationship we can create in this household? Sometimes it's, you know, unsupervised visitations, sometimes it's reconciliation, sometimes it's supervised visitation, but essentially it's growing a healthy relationship every day between the house, between the members of the household. And um, the majority of our families are reconciled. And I think on the end of that, that is what we would consider a success. Um, but it takes a lot of work after the reconciliation, um, trust is broken, you know, emotions are hard to, to navigate. Are you happy? Are you still angry? Are you worried? I mean, there's a lot that goes into play. Um, and so when we have kids on the other end of that looking to heal, I think one of the most powerful things and one of the most healing things for a child out of that is seeing a parent that's a willing to stand up for them and fight for them and understand that the child does have value and importance and matters enough for the parent to be in a humiliating state mm -hmm. and find the grit to walk through our doors and make that change. But then to actually see the parent change. I think when we see people that we need in our life, whether that's a parent or a mentor or a peer, stand up and say, I was wrong. I didn't know. Now I do. Now I want to be better. Having a child see that it's possible, that it's actually happening, and that it was because of them, that is so healing in itself and is a foundation for that new trust level. And so I think um, when I talk about success, I hope for reconciliation, but I really hope that the change is being noted to build that healthier relationship, whatever that household looks like when they leave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so many good nuggets out of this. I'm so glad we're talking today about this because it's, it gives us so much to think about in light of what's best for the child and really asking ourselves how we can all be a part of that solution. Is there anything else our listeners um, should know about upcoming events or things that we can help with to really be part of the solution? Yeah, so I mean, anytime you want to be part of the solution or no more, um, you know, just look to agencies to see what's going on and how to get 
not just yourself involved, but how to get your community involved, whether that's your church or your work life or your group of friends. Like I said, we offer free programs that are an hour, 45 minutes to an hour that we do for free um, to help individuals educate themselves, like recognizing reporting, um, more than stranger danger. Uh, we do a puppet show for children called Kids on the Block. We have a preventive preventative adverse childhood experience activity book for children that we hand out to schools or daycares. And we do all that at no cost to the, the, the client or individual. So make sure that you're reaching out to these agencies because we're not the only ones that provide these resources for the community and, and help us get the word out, help us find the answers. Um, but in order for us to do that, we do have several <laughs> events to become involved in. Um, and, you know, we have a Hope for Families campaign that's coming out if, and it's going to be essentially a, a donation drive where we help fund these, these community programs that I just mentioned. Um, and it's, it's going to show the impact that we, we serve in Oklahoma from a client base. And I hope to um, receive, you know, donations in return to help support our programs. And we do a Father's Day Festival every year that's free for the community. We do look for underwriting. So if your company likes to be part of community events, it's at Scissor Tail Park on Father's Day. And we just have the community come together to create a free, no barrier fun zone for you to create traditions with your family, have quality time, walk around, get your face painted, jump on the bounce house, um, grab a bottle of water and just enjoy the day. Um, so those types of things, we are always looking for supporters and help help create our, our word for the uh, community. Absolutely, those are great events coming up. And I'm sure we can look on your website for more information about both of those. You are doing such important work for healing and rec reconciliation in Oklahoma. And I'd just love to end by asking you, what is bringing you hope right now as it relates to these serious matters? What is your big kind of light at the end of the tunnel visual that we all can hope for? I mean, I have a lot of hope, which I think people are always surprised about because of the nature of the work. And honestly, I have hope that that walks through the door every day. Clients come in and, you know, their stories are remarkable but their endings are truly the light in the world that we need. Um, we have one client who has just a remarkable story that I'll share real quickly. Um, she has suffered in her, in her childhood with sexual trauma and substance abuse, domestic violence. Um, and she grew up in a way that she was not provided for, for at all for emotional or um, social needs. And so she became a product of that and had three children under substance abuse and domestic violent relationship. 10 years ago, she lost the rights to her children. And um, she took a lot to rebuild her life and go through her personal traumas. And she is now um, back fighting for her children. And the strides that she has made over every obstacle in her life has not just resonated with my organization, but you know, there, there are people out there that 
are so moved by her. Um, judge Reeser is her judge. And he, they even went on to say uh, lots of praise for the hard work she has done to get her children home and how determined she is to get her 12 year old and 14 year old home. Mm -hmm. So when a judge is making notes of this on court dockets that they are changing the way they live their life and raise their family. We have so much hope because we know we have a solution to everything. We just have to make the investment to make it happen. And I will hammer this home until I turn blue. Being a United Way partner agency, especially, every agency out there has the solution. We just have to invest in them. We have to invest in the people. We have to take the moment to realize 10 years has gone by, but they're still making the effort and they're still trying and they did it. So um, she comes in every week to give us updates. She came in yesterday and she has successfully unsupervised visitations with all three of her children now. Wow. And so she is one step closer to um, getting them back in the home. And all four of those individuals have worked really hard for this. So it is truly the hope that we see um, every day here. Thank you so much for being that organization to provide that toolkit and support and really wrap your arms around people that need it and um, clearly appreciate it because this woman sounds like she's going to literally change her life and her family's life for generations to come because of the skills she's learned with family builders. So we so appreciate your work. Thank you again for joining me to chat today. If anyone listening has suspected or witnessed abuse, you can call a number to make a report. It's 1-800-522-3511. You can find out more about the outstanding programs and events coming up at Family Builders, as well as more information on the Hope for Families campaign by visiting www.familybuildersok.org. Thanks again, Kate, and join us next time on Raising OKC Kids. Thank you.